Moneyball. The phrase has its origins in a 2011 movie of the same name. A hyper-focus on analytics enabled the owner of a baseball team to take a limited budget and create a winning team. And in so doing, he changed baseball forever. Full stop. Oh, yippee, you say. A podcast about data analytics. Hold on a second, okay? This is a podcast about the future of philanthropy, about the power of analytics to transform how you raise money, and about the role that artificial intelligence is beginning to play in transforming philanthropy. That sounds a little more interesting, doesn't it? Yeah, I thought you'd think so. This is also a podcast that helps, should help you focus on a critical metric in your organization. And if you are a board member and a finance committee, I need you to listen up. We love to talk about revenue the percentage of total increase year over year. We look at the cost of fundraising on each of our special events. We get that money in the door, and next year we, we strive to get more of it in the door than the year before. But how many times have I seen this? Client financial dashboards, fundraising plans, each and every one of them missing a key metric, retention. Now, let me connect all these dots. Today's guests are going to talk about fundraising rooted in relationships, donor retention, and the role technology, specifically artificial intelligence, can have in fueling both of these things. AI is here, and as a nonprofit leader, you need to understand its power to change how you fundraise. If these times have taught us anything, it's that we have to lean in on trying new things and be open to the possibility of working differently. The Gates Foundation provided funding to my guests to dig into the power of AI, and I'm really glad they did. Both of my guests have been long-term champions and advocates for tech use in the nonprofit sector. You can expect to be educated and you can expect to be called to action. Greetings and welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. I'm your host, Joan Gary, founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, where we help smaller nonprofits thrive. I'm also a strategic advisor for executive directors and boards of larger nonprofits. I'm a frequent keynote speaker, a blogger, and an author on all things leadership and management. Learn more at joangary.com. I'm a woman with a mission to fuel the leadership of the nonprofit sector. My goal with each episode is to dig deep into an issue I know that nonprofit leaders are grappling with by finding just the right person to offer you advice and insights. Today is no exception. Today, a twofer. My guests, Beth Cantor and Allison Fine. Beth Cantor is an internationally recognized thought leader in the nonprofit sector, focusing on digital transformation and well-being in the workplace. Over 35 years of providing capacity-building programs for nonprofits and foundations, named one of the most influential women in tech by Fast Company and one of Business Week's Voices of Innovation. She's a leading author in the sector, and her more recent book is a favorite of mine called The Happy Healthy Nonprofit Strategies for Impact Without Burnout. You can read lots about her at Beth Cantor, B-E-T-H-K-A-N-T-E-R dot O-R-G. Beth, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much, Joan, for inviting me. Allison Fine is among the nation's preeminent thinkers and strategists on network leadership and online activism. Over the past 10 years, she has written three books, keynoted conferences around the world, and coached hundreds of organizations. In addition, she was a chair of the National Board of NARAL, the founder of the Network of Elected Women, and most recently ran for Congress in New York's 17th Congressional District. Together, 
This is a dynamic duo. And the two of them co-authored the best-selling book, The Networked Nonprofit. Allison, I am delighted to have you here with us today. I'm delighted to be here, Joan. Thank you. So 10 years ago, this dynamic duo, you wrote The Networked Nonprofit, and one review said this, and I quote, this is a perfect handbook for anyone who wants to leapfrog their current limitations of understanding and find real-world applications of technology to extend their mission, end quote. Fast forward 10 years to 2020. Looks like you two are in the same business, but this time a different technology. I think that's awesome. Um, What led you here? I know you've been studying this for two years. Beth, why don't you take us through the genesis of the work? Well, Alice and I have been lucky enough to have a front row seat at the creation of this field, you know, the intersection of nonprofits and technology. So we've always been really curious and passionate uh, about the next technology that was on the horizon. And um, what we have the benefit um, this time around um, is the knowledge of what's been taking place with social networks in the last couple of years, not only um, the good things they can do for social change and nonprofits, but also the the negative impact on um, our democracy, on our civil society. So um, Alice and I felt it was really important to like think about like, okay, so AI could even accelerate some of our current problems even faster uh, than social online social networks. And we really think that this is really important for nonprofit leaders to fully know about the implications. Uh, I'm not sure. <clears throat> what l- listeners conjure up when they hear AI, but I-, I think it's important to level the playing field so we have a shared definition. Allison, define AI so that everybody knows what we're talking about here. AI is largely code, Joan. It's computer code that automates regular processes. Um, it can be the kind of code that is powering uh, a robot. Or it can be the kind of code that is powering a chatbot so that when you go to return shoes to a store online and they say, we're available any minute of any day, and you start to type, um, that's a robot. That's AI code uh, that's built in there. So it's computer code that uses an enormous amount of data to answer or um, do regular activities Um, We like to say with people and not for people. Um, So AI is out there in the, in the ether. It's not some thing that's coming down the pike. It's, it's alive and very much alive and well in our lives today. Correct. It has been for a long time, Joan, this is decades in the making, right? We all know the science fiction of knowing that the robots are going to come and take our jobs and uh, take over the, the world. What makes this moment, in particular, so interesting, and what made us really want to pay attention is that the technology has become so inexpensive and so accessible in commercial form that regular people like you and I are both interacting with AI, think Siri or Alexa, right? And can now start to use some of the commercial tools in our businesses. We are what we call right at the heel of the hockey stick stick of adoption for this technology. So, you know, I, I, I'm sure that there's at least one smart-ass nonprofit executive director who said, okay, you know what? A robot can have my job. That works for me. <laughs> but I don't think that's what we're talking about here. No. 
no. And and we want to be really, really careful about, um, there are some jobs that robots ought to take uh, over. For instance, if you've ever looked inside of an Amazon warehouse, um, a lot of those jobs should be done by robots and not by human beings. But that's not what we're saying for the nonprofit sector. So what have you learned uh, about AI in these past two years as you have done your research? Um, you've said that we are at a pivotal moment to embrace this technology. Let's talk about, and either of you can grab this one, but why is this a pivotal moment? I think I'm going to answer your first question about what have you learned about AI? Sure. <laughs> and I think, you know, sort of the headline is, um, you know, the technology won't fit bad practices, right? Um, AI won't fix uh, bad fa- fundraising uh, potentials, uh, practices, and we really shouldn't use AL to scale them or to, or to make them more efficient. You know, it's kind of garbage in, garbage out. And what we think is the, the pivotal moment is that this big opportunity to free up staff to really focus on relationship building and finally address the what Allison calls is the cancerous <laughs> retention rates, donor retention rates. So, so if I'm hearing you right, that <clears throat> AI is going to allow, it will allow me, if I'm an executive director, to automate certain kinds of tasks that will diminish the amount of time that real people spend on them so that those tasks or that research or that data can um free me and provide me with a tool that allows me to actually build and cultivate a relationship in a different kind of way. Absolutely. And I can give you a specific use case. Um, I'm I'm ready to hear that. (laughs) Okay. So think about um, the big development office and one position, or it might be uh, several positions that focus on major donor research. Okay. So that job, as you probably know, is part desk research. You know, who in my database should I be cultivating? And what do I know about them? And what's their favorite restaurant? And what might they be interested in, in terms of a donation opportunity? that's assuming that you even have someone who can do that, right? Exactly. right? Small nonprofits, of which we know about 70% of them are small. They're lucky if they even have an intern doing that kind of stuff. Right, exactly. And it's still, not no matter who's doing it, whether you have dedicated staff or it's you're trying to find, lucky enough to find a research uh, intern to do the research or a volunteer, it's still, that desk research takes time. Yeah. Um, you know, you know what it's like going through lots of information and trying to synthesize it and prioritize it. We're, we're quickly overwhelmed. So what the tools can do is go through a database or uh, or lots of donor data and, and the algorithm, which is the mathematical equation, can figure out which one of these donors that are in your queue should you be talking to or cultivating first. And so that can save a lot of time. You don't have to worry about that. And you can go right to cultivating the donor or focusing on the relationship. Another example, which many small nonprofits can, can use, are chatbots. And, um, and chatbots, if they're designed well, can be automated to help somebody who's on your site find, you know, answer a question really fast. I mean, we're used to that already when we're, um, you know, buying shoes, right? <laughs> Online, there's a chatbot to help us. Why not when someone's ready to make a donation or they want to sign up for your mailing list and they can't find all the information? 
having a 24-7 chatbot available um, makes it easy, improves the donor experience online, and also the staff person doesn't have to be online uh, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. It frees up their time to do something else, hopefully more connected to building relationships or more um, mission impact driven. So go ahead, Allison. And the, the flip side is AI can now help any donor be treated like a major donor in terms of being able to find a cause that meets their very specific parameters. And those parameters could be geography and issue, but also more emotional. Right. Um, who is who is working in an area in my community to feed people and um, uh, maybe they're smaller than other causes. So we think this is an opportunity for donors to be treated like, um, you know, like high dollar donors, everyday donors treated like high dollar donors and for maybe smaller, a little bit off the beaten path um, causes to be found by those donors. So the match uh, can be made um, more efficiently and more effectively. I like what you said about the, and, and, and we, any of us who do fundraising or live in this space know about the emotional connection that, um, that philanthropy has for the donor. And, um, I think this is a segue to something that you said to me last week, Allison, where you said, um, quite emphatically, as I recall, conventional wisdom about fundraising is flat out wrong. And I think it's connected to this issue of emotion and relationship. But I'd love to hear, I I wanted my listeners to hear what you had to say when I asked you, what do you mean, Allison? The conventional wisdom favors the transactional model of fundraising, Joan, and frankly favors the consultants that are selling the services to to man uh, that transactional model. And that is... Ask, 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 ask. And then when you think about, should I ask again? The consultants tell you, ask, keep asking. And we are running through donors. And when you look at the actual data of the drop-off between year one and year two for donors, the retention rate is dreadful. Uh, No for-profit business would wanna have such little retention of their customers. And yet, that's the model that the consultants are selling. The consultants who want you to buy more donors from the donor list um, and spend more on acquisition, which we know is many more times expensive than uh, retaining those donors. I find it infuriating that we have built an entire industry on this faulty premise that continuing to acquire new donors is smarter and more effective than investing in the donors you already have. I um, have been on a soapbox since the pandemic started that this is the opportunity, you know, to engage board members in a cultivation and stewardship program, that they don't have to ask for money, that they should be given a portfolio of people to reach out to and say, how are you doing? Um, you have been connected to our organization and we care about you. How are you doing? And it leads to a conversation where, you know, they are likely to say, what's going on with organization XYZ? And it gives you an opportunity to say, we're doing some pretty innovative things. 
We have never been more in need. We have never been more resource constrained. And we also have never been more creative, right? And boom. And then that's all the conversation you have. You don't actually ask. And the idea that I could give to my board members information that I didn't have to actually put a person on to go and find, but that I could use some sort of automated way of gathering that information to hand to my board members makes the opportunities for that nurturing and that cultivation to be real and authentic and quite rich, don't you think? Mm, Yes. This is why we're so excited about this technology at this moment in time, Joan, and it can be counterintuitive for so many people to say, we want you to use the most advanced technology in the history of the world to build relationships with people. To do the simplest thing. It is. Right. And, And to hear, to ask them to tell you their story of why your cause means so much to you. Something you have never either had the time or the interest of doing before. Correct. Um, You know, it's been, this time has given us this great, okay, so I'm not going to talk about all the negative things around COVID and everything else that's going on because, you know, we all don't want to get depressed. We actually did did that that already. Yeah, we did that before we hit the record button, just for all of you out there. Right. But, um, But if we think about this and we're able to look past that, this we've had the gift of slowing down, right? You know, we're not hopping on planes. Uh, we're not quite as, I mean, we are busy, but we've had a chance to go in slow motion a little bit and, and really reflect on things. And that, I think, sets the stage for us to really make change and to really, like, really take stock of, like, like how do we want to come back better and more impactful and, um, than we were before? If that's the gift and the silver lining in all of this. And, and I think it very well could be. Um, so can you tell me about this current state of AI in the nonprofit sector, particularly philanthropy? Are folks doing this? Are there, um, you know, are, are you the, is this the embryonic thing and you all are the, you know, the kindling to light the flame? Or are there people that are out there doing this and seeing some real success? So we're seeing just the beginning, I would say the commercial products that we looked at, like Gravity and Quilt AI um, and um, products that Salesforce is um, creating, we're looking at, I would call it, and you can agree or disagree, Beth, I think we're looking at first-generation tools and commercialization. And people are starting to use them to identify prospects, to... Uh, ring the bells when somebody is close to lapsing, uh, to matching people and causes, but um, it's very new. And our hope is that unlike every other generation of technology, Joan, we've ever seen in this sector, nonprofits could be early adopters uh, to this and to show other sectors what early adoption looks like. And you're smiling because we know that that is not our norm. But it's possible. A pan- yeah. Never let a good pandemic wait. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, go ahead, Beth. Uh, I, I was thinking about, you know, yes, I think Allison's right, really right on. One um, piece of this technology is um, voice 
activated fundraising, which is this new field, um, you know, the Alexa, the Siri, those, you know, operate on AI machine learning. And so we could evolve into something. Um, and we already have it the very initial beginning of like on Amazon Alexa, there is a program now that a very select few of nonprofits are beta testing this new fundraising model. I mean, they're not raising tons of money yet, but then if, if um, voice activation is more and more in what consumers and uh, what they're used to, then, you know, fundraising should follow. But, you know, I, I dream of the day where the, the voice activated uh, fundraising might go something like this, where you say, Alexa, order my dog food. And Alexa says, well, would you like to give some money to the local humane society? And you said, no, nah, no, nah, just order my dog food. Are you sure? Um, you know, and it gives, so now, do you know about animals in our community? You know, maybe you would like to volunteer instead. And then it's kind of, Alexa, just get me a pizza. And Alexa will say, get your own pizza. I, I only <laughs> want to talk to people who care about causes. Um, <laughs> um, all no, kidding aside, but. <laughs> um, I like that. So um, as you think about this technology, did you specifically identify and say, how in the, in the sector, where could AI have the most impact? Did you look at other areas within nonprofits and say it could help over here and over here, over here, but the, the best impact it could have would be in fundraising? I just was sort of curious if you landed on fundraising for obvious reasons or whether, you know, sort of there's lots and it seems to me there's lots of different applications. It, um, do you just think that fundraising is going to have the the biggest return on this investment? Uh, there is a, a very lively field of AI for good um, that is worldwide and um, has really interesting applications. When we looked at AI for giving, um, we knew it was such a brand new field, Joan, because we came up with the term AI for giving. So <laughs> we have the website, we have the hashtag. <laughs> Nicely done. Thank you. So uh, this seemed like a wide open area for us to explore. Um, so um, I am so about retention. Um, and and it's, it's not just smart for business. It's actually, it is what connects a donor to a cause is what, right? And I, I, I was thinking about this because I run this membership site for board and staff leaders of small nonprofits. And our metric is not how much gross revenue we generate or how much net revenue we generate. Our metric is always retention rate because our, and it's very high. Uh, we have a monthly subscription and our retention rate is, um, runs between 96 and 97% a month. And it's not just because we're smart, it's because it's part of the business proposition. That the business proposition says we take good care of people. They feel a sense of high touch about being a member and, and they don't want to leave us, right? In addition to the value that they get. And I, and I, I, I think there's some parallels there. Um, now, I want to ask you a little bit about the long-term sort of what you know, at least at this point, about the return on investment, right? Um, better retention rates are going to be of benefit to my organization on the bottom line. But let's talk about price of entry for AI at this point. Um, you know, I, I, I wrote here, new tech stuff always costs more at the beginning. Should I wait until the price goes down, right? Like, how does this work? Because 
we all know that this is something that a nonprofit executive director is going to say is what's the what's the cost of entry? And I, I don't know how you answer that because it's so early on, but it'd be great to be um, have a sense of that. You know, I think it's different than um, consumer technologies where you are purchasing something and or, or hardware, like the first iPhone probably wasn't as good as the second one and the second one wasn't as good as the third. And we all know that, you know, uh, you know, the, that uh, you get to market with your technology product, you know, it's always going to improve along the way. Um, here, it's more that the nonprofits are going to have to be thoughtful consumers of, um, of, 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 of important software. In this case, I, the, the, the CRM, the donor CRM um, database, or things they might use on their website, like chatbots or some of these other tools that they may use in their messaging. And they don't have to invest in the whole thing and they're buying a license. So it's in most cases, it's not going to be incredibly expensive, but they have to be thoughtful consumers about, okay, so what, uh, how is your algorithm created? <laughs> it doesn't have bias in it. Um, or is it a big black mysterious box and it's some voodoo magic, you know? Um, and I certainly, Allison, this is her favorite topic can speak to some of the ethics around here. I don't know, Allison, if you want to pick that up. Yeah. Allison, <laughs> pick that up. Oh. <laughs> So, Joan, this moment in time feels so different than 10 years ago, um, in part because of what we've learned about what happens when commercial platforms have monopolies over the technology. Now, the concerns that we have is that um, AI takes an enormous amount of data uh, to run. So no individual nonprofit is going to house uh, an AI platform. We, are, we need commercial platforms. However, once you throw a commercial platform into this ecosystem, the question becomes, what are they doing with the data? Um, you know, are they potentially manipulating uh, donors uh, or allowing donors uh, to be manipulated? Um, and, um, you know, what does it mean for us as organizations to have outside groups uh, involved this way? So I feel like we're going into this um, this new chapter with our eyes more wide open of what the downsides of having tech companies really involved uh, in social good, social change uh, efforts. But this is, and, and again, I know it is moving the nonprofit sector uh, more progressively in a place we have not generally been. But this is why we do want to ring these bells on potential ethical challenges on, as Beth mentioned, bias in the code and um, keeping the code, um, uh, keeping the data um, secure early in the hopes that leaders in philanthropy and nonprofits can set ethical standards for what we expect AI companies um, to do in this realm. So is this a hard question for me to ask, just to bring it to life? What's an example of what an ethical standard might be that you would impose on sort of, is that what I think it would be helpful. It's not that difficult. So for instance, we know that public agencies that are using AI screening for um, say public housing or SNAP benefits uh, need to ensure that the code doesn't build in old racial biases uh, into those services. So everybody using these kinds of systems needs to have an external ethical review board 
um, that has access to the code, right? It, that's not complicated, but it's very concrete of something we think is absolutely essential to make sure that um, equity is built into codes. Because think about, you know, is it's the codes and the algorithms, but it's also the data sets that they're using. Mm -hmm. So if the data set is uh, biased, it's not completely representative, represents a particular population, then the people could get left out of something. Yeah. Um, we think about it in terms of like, here's another example. It's hypothetical, perhaps. Um, we also looked at philanthropic advising okay. um, and using like the equivalent of, of, of robo-advisors, philanthro-advisors, or filgorithms. I didn't trip on that one. Um, but let's say they were only looking at like a, a data set of what some particular donors were giving to in a population. And let's just say, let's just call it what it is. Let's say it was all white donors. Yeah. And, and that who may be just giving to white led organizations. Yeah. And it's going to, it may spit back <laughs> some recommendations, you know, that aren't beyond that. Okay. So that's, I mean, just one sort of straightforward example. Um, Not to say that that exists. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. During COVID lockdown, I took time from Netflix binging to rewrite my book, Joan Gary's Guide to Nonprofit Leadership. I wanted to make sure that board and staff leaders had a new guide to help them to navigate a very different world, one where old rules don't apply and some new rules will be critical to thriving. This version is now in paperback and you can learn more at book.joangary.com. As the founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, the best online resource for board and staff leaders of small nonprofits. I have the privilege of hearing the stories of the remarkable work being done every single day by an amazing group of kind and generous leaders around the globe. I want you to hear their stories too, uplifting and inspiring. Now there's something we could use a whole lot more of, right? And that's why I wanna introduce you to the Leadership Lab's own podcast, Your Nonprofit Life. In each episode, our lab's director of member experience, Laura Zelke, interviews a leader of a small nonprofit, offering you the opportunity to hear about their unique path into the sector, learn about the important work they're doing, and be inspired by their passion and determination to change the world in ways large and small. Sample this dose of hope at yournonprofitlife.com, or you can find it on your favorite podcast app. So we're actually having a conversation about um, what we're referring to here as the potentially the money ball moment for um, uh, philanthropy and the potential of AI, artificial intelligence, to be a game changer um, for this moment in time to be that time when we lean in to try something new and make a commitment to operating differently. And any of you who have listening are listening, I guarantee you that in the last six months, you have leaned in to try something new because you've had no other choice. And we are joined by Beth Cantor and Allison Fine. Um, for those of you in the sector, you know probably know them best as the authors um, 10 years ago of uh, the Network to Nonprofit, and they have stayed in the game of the connection between technology and, um, and philanthropy and technology in the nonprofit sector. And their latest adventure is um, really trying to ignite a movement to introduce and 
um, see um, AI uh, an integral part of the work that nonprofits do specifically around fundraising. Um, so um, I think Allison said a few minutes ago, and yes, I smiled, about nonprofits have, the nonprofit sector has the opportunity to lead here. Um, and I know that the faces of leaders of the nonprofit sector are beginning to change. Um, but we have a fair amount of, I think the technical term is troglodytes who lead nonprofits, um, who see websites as storefronts, who uh, actually don't really get Instagram or um, uh, clearly don't get TikTok, right? And so um, you're just not dealing with a tech, often not dealing with a very tech-savvy um, group. And I, I, that, that could be gross generalizations for 400, Alex, but we certainly see enough evidence to suggest this. There's an emotional obstacle to entry, right? I don't get the technical stuff. Um, how do we get through to them? Um, what's the what's what's the messaging that'll work here? Have you, um, have, have you got a beat on that? I actually think that, that AI is easier than social media to sell to some of these folks. Um, in that. Um, AI is happening in the background, right? Uh, which is both a little bit frightening, but also, you know, just the reality of how the, the technology is working. Um, and so you don't necessarily see it. And I think the sell to the Luddites is if you use this well, you will have more time to do the things that you really like doing. Um, because I'm imagining if you are really uh, tech averse, um, you think that it's uh, taking the place of relationships. We want to give you 10, 15 extra hours a week to talk to people and to tell them about your work yeah. and hopefully to listen to them. I think that that is um, a really interesting sell for folks who are resistant. So it could actually feel like you free them up as opposed to if you say, hey, you need to have an Instagram account and they don't even know why they should have one. All they know is it's going to cost extra time and that they're probably only going to have an intern who's not going to have the voice of the organization, right? Well, and, and the reality is social media does take time. No uh, question. It absolutely it takes a does. lot of time. Yep. AI yep. used well um, is going to take a different kind of time and hopefully um, free them up from doing some rote tasks they didn't like doing anyway. Um, not your first time on this rodeo, Beth and Allison, right? Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, this whole network to nonprofit thing was new. Um, and uh, it's all about sort of making this case um, that the nonprofit sector embrace technology and everything that it can bring to them. And I wondered if each of you could speak to what you learned from Rodeo 1 that you think is going to help you here on Rodeo 2. Hmm. <laughs> uh, no. I, you go, Beth. Well, when I think back around it, um, I, I think Allison is just spot on when she says it's, it's going to be less of a hard sell because they don't necessarily, because it's embedded in the pro products. You know, if we were to say, you have to go out and you have to build um, a voice bot and you have to build an Alexa device mm -hmm. to able to use this technology, then people are going to say, mm. 
But what we're saying is, look, these products and these this technology is already in use with what consumers are already doing. And um, and you don't have to build it from scratch. You just have to be a savvy consumer. Yep. And the benefit that you're going to get back is this enormous efficiency or this amount of time that you don't have to spend figuring out how to use it, but you're figuring out how to like um, do other parts of your mission or other parts of your fundraising strategy, which is basically that human to human stuff better. Better. Yep. So let's talk about how to get into the game. And um, Beth, I think it was you that was talking about the balcony and the dance floor. Yeah. Um, so maybe you could talk about it. Okay. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this podcast. I pulled over to the side of the road. I've taken some notes. Um, I've texted my development director and said, what do you know about AI? Can we talk about this when I, when I get back to my house and can we get on zoom? Um, so what's the point of entry? How does it work? If I say, okay, I'm, I'm ready now, Beth and Allison, what do I do? What okay, so like the, the dance floor and the balcony metaphor, Allison's always on the balcony and looking at the big picture. I don't know if you want to hear the big picture piece or if you want to hear the dance floor steps. Oh, let's um, do the dance floor first. Uh, excuse me, let's do the balcony first and then get on to the dance floor because I oh well Allison's the balcony lady. Okay, Allison do balcony. <laughs> Allison do balcony and Beth is on the dance floor. I now feel like I'm in one of those boxes at the opera. <laughs> well, I was actually picturing Beth on Dancing with the Stars, which actually just okay. made, <laughs> it made me grin from ear to ear. Um, I think I think the first step uh, in the big picture piece, Joan, is really having a reality check of how how often um, organizations actually spend in relationship building with donors right now, which you and I both know will be for most groups, very small yeah. and how much time they're spending being transactional and doing a real audit of what their time with donors actually looks like right now and what their values are around fundraising. Do you actually want to get to know your donors or don't you? And are you willing to spend the time and make the pivot to being something very different in this fundraising equation with um, current and potential donors. That's where I think folks need to start is actually using a, a mixed metaphor from a very different field. Do we actually have a problem here? <laughs> <laughs> Are we actually addicted to transactional fundraising? Um, and what does that addiction look like? And one of the ways to... Um, ditch the addiction, Would, wouldn't it be to, as part of that assessment, to take a look at their retention rate year over year for the, like the last five years? And if you see that you're spending more time doing donor acquisition because you're actually trying to fill the gap for donors that are dropping off, then then you have a problem. And that, right? And, and you need a real, not just an audit, you, real, you need a real x-ray yeah. of what your fundraising Ac what actually happens in your fundraising, um, both in terms of your process of fundraising and then the data around deten um, retention. But Joan, and I don't want to cast aspersions to all consultants, you need to do it without that um, uh, constant chatter from the consultants of the services and the, the products that you need to buy from them. Yeah, that's interesting. Um Okay, now so Beth can get really started on step one, step two. Okay, right. 
Okay, yeah. so, so, so now so that Beth you've is, made... Oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, so now I'm saying you're up on the balcony and you've done this assessment. You realize that your, your retention rate sucks. You realize that your values do say we care about these people, right? That, that, that we want to build a community, a village of people who care deeply about the work that we do. And that, that you, don't, you don't get that unless you nurture and cultivate and steward. And that that's what donors really want. They want to feel close to your organization. And a check only brings them so close. So you assess that and you say, yes, I, I, I think this makes a lot of sense. And then I'm going to go on the dance floor with Beth. Right. So what you've done is you've, um, you've made that mind shift and you've figured out what you're going to do with that free time. And maybe if you want the ROI analysis, maybe you might calculate what the return will be in terms of donations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now you have a real strategic purpose um, for using this technology, not because, oh, the next guy's using it, or I just read about it, you know, in a magazine or something. Um, so then you have to think about, um, here are some points about the development of your strategy and the things you need to be thinking about. Um, first of all, off, probably a participatory process. There's a new field called participatory machine learning. And basically, what that is, is about um, taking a design thinking approach or um, really interviewing and understanding the, the donor's reality and figuring out how you can make that experience better. So that might be doing some interviewing and some better understanding of your donor, um, which is good to do anyway, whether you're using AI or not, but particularly. Then, you know, the data piece, um, we, you know, AI needs data, lots of it. So do you have ex- um, access to usable, clean, complete, relevant data? Are the data sets relevant? I think the big problem we have in the nonprofit sector is not having it be complete and not having it be clean. It's inaccurate. Then um, also thinking about your plan to manage ethical concerns about donor privacy, um, donor bias. And the other thing too, um, I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of the small organizations aren't going to have data scientists on their staff, paid data scientists. Generally on their staff. not. Yeah. No. So you need to have access to people with the expertise who, you know, may be recommending different products or they might be building some of these algorithms for you um, or evaluating off the shelf software. And the good thing is, I think there's some organizations like Datakind and some others where there are da- uh, data scientists who work in the field who do like uh, expert volunteering work or maybe an opportunity to recruit a new board member who has this expertise. Yes. Next time you're doing that board matrix. Oh, do we have someone who understands data? So I th- th- those would be a, f- a few places to start. And then once you're getting to the point of actually, well, let's say implementing a chatbot project, um, just understand that it does require, um, the chatbots require socialization. <laughs> they need to interact with people and you need, need to go through so- a somewhat of an iterative process. Yep. So it doesn't like work right away, but there's some refining. And we shouldn't look at that as a pain or waste of time. We should look at that as a way to better serve our end donor, which then makes them feel better about us, which then makes us want, makes them want to write that check regularly and stay with us and never leave us. I love the idea. Uh, I mean, I'm always a big fan of either board members with a particular expertise that can provide guidance. I love kitchen cabinets of people who don't necessarily you know, board service may not be their thing, but who um, can provide, it can be a bit of a, a, 
a guide, a navigator for you in thinking about, okay, if we've assessed the problem and maybe you've made the business case to your board about why this matters, and then can you put together folks who, you know, in your community who can help you say, okay, what, what would an, what would an, how would we operationalize this? What would we do in what order? Um, What are the, you know, taking into account the ethical considerations, et cetera. Um, And I, what I like, what I've really appreciated about the two of you in this conversation is that you have just the right amount, just the right balance of like, like studying and being geeky about it and being really practical because you actually understand the lived experience inside nonprofits every day. And, um, and so I think that's really important for people who are listening here. This is not, these these are not two women that are like selling AI. These are two women that deeply care about the nonprofit sector operating at its highest possible level. And they see such an incredible opportunity here. And I hope that you're hearing this conversation in that context. Um, I want to ask this one last question and going back to something we talked about earlier, but it seems like the right place to leave our conversation today. Um, and I, I think, Allison, this was you, um, but I would be very happy to hear from both of you as you close out. Um, I'm struck by, uh, again, by your belief that the nonprofit sector can lead rather than follow. Um, in your report, you say, and I quote, the philanthropic and nonprofit sectors have an opportunity to proactively shape this next era and ensure that the technology remains dedicated to the values underpinning philosophy, philanthropy, excuse me, end quote. Um, and that's a pretty big promise, isn't it? And it's fair, it seems pretty a- aspirational. And, and I guess I was wondering, I'm finding myself, if you could tease that out and also sort of why is the nonprofit sector uniquely suited to lead as opposed to some other, uh, some other sector? Um, I'm glad you asked this question, uh, Joan. We spent a long time um, thinking about this issue. And the reason why the nonprofit sector can do this is because we are not trying to create a profit in our work. We are trying to create Um, acts of loving kindness and to make the world a better place. And we should want to use technology in that same way. And given that we are having an existential crisis in this sector, we saw some estimates of 30 to 40% of nonprofits could be out of business by the end of the year. Right. Right. Now is the time to say, how can we live our values as a community, use tech to create abundance instead of a sense of scarcity, move ourselves in the direction of being our best selves, because we need to be here. Our communities need us desperately. Remaking the interaction and the relationship between organizations and donors um, rem- begins the process of ensuring that we are here for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, anything you want to add on that, Beth? Oh, I, th- I don't think, it, I think I'll just let it sit because it was such a, a nice way to end. Well, and I, I guess I also just want to say that um, sometimes I believe that nonprofit leaders forget how much um, donors and volunteers need them, right? 
and um and how badly they want them to succeed Joan they yes, want yes, them yes 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 right and that we have this and we also have a world of complete chaos really in so many ways and people are just they're so desperate to have a feeling that their lives and the things that are happening to them have meaning and purpose. And the notion that you would simply ask somebody without actually developing a relationship, if they would renew their thousand dollar gift, as opposed to actually infusing them with a sense of the meaning and joy and privilege and purpose that comes with being connected, that I just want to say one last thing, and I'm just struck by this, and I might have talked to you guys, you all about this before, is that, you know, if you listen to the news, presumably you can bear it, right? <laughs> um, where does the inspiration and the hope come from evening newscasts? It comes from us. It comes from us. My buddy David Muir, who we refer to as our boyfriend, I don't know. I have no why. The pandemic does crazy things to people. So we watch David Muir, ABC World News Tonight, and every night he says, finally. And it's the only good news in the entire half hour. And it's usually somebody giving back or, it's or an always, act of caring. It's uh, an act of an caring. Act of kindness. It's an act um, of kindness. It's a food bank that has been able to somehow or another innovate to be able to increase the number of people they serve tenfold or twentyfold. Right. And so um, I just feel like non- nonprofit leaders are, um, they're not seeing something that's so important that building this army of engaged people in our society is, as, is a gift to the people, right? Or it's a gift to the people who are stewarded and nurtured because it feeds them. And I, I just, I, I, you know, when I first, took my first ED job. I had never asked anybody for money before in my life. And my development director, who was a, a kind of a rock star, she said, Joan, just know it makes people feel really good to give to mon- money to causes they care about. And I was like, okay, I'm going to start asking like right now. <laughs> right. But we cultivated and stewarded and we're very successful. But, um, and if there is a technology with relatively easy, you know, sort of are relatively easy entry and yes, complex um, that can actually deliver on the promise of what philanthropy is really about. Why wouldn't you say, I want this? Um, I want to give you guys, you all the last word here. Is there any last thing you want to make sure our listeners hear? Beth, let's start with you. I'm going to step back and say, and just continue on this theme that I know it's been difficult for everybody and maybe some people more more difficult than others, given the way our world is. And uh, we're living in this really weird, difficult time. But I think we still need to think about like, you know, how, how we continue to um, bond with um, our donors and our mission, how we continue to be inspired and, and, and look forward and, 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 and and get to a point where um, we're really able to come back um, in a different way, uh, transform um, our organizations, ourselves and our communities. I totally agree. And there's something um, else. And then I'll give Allison the last word here. People are craving intimacy. They're craving connection. 
why can't we give that to them? Give that to them with a big fat dose of hope and inspiration and purpose. Like it, it's it's a layup, isn't like, it? Duh. <laughs> yeah. Allison, take us out. Joan, my heart goes out to so many nonprofit EDs and I've been there at three o'clock in the morning wondering how are we going to make payroll next month? And what so many people feared has actually happened this year. And so many folks had to downsize or cut off services to people. And I want them more than anything in the world to take a deep breath and imagine being able to do this work really differently, to do it in a way that feels better to you, better to your donors, better to, your, to the people that you're serving out there. So when we rebuild this field um, that we call nonprofits actually does match up to our vision and our values. Love that. I, um, I want to just end by both, first, first of all, thank you to Beth and Allison for your good work through the decades and for joining us to talk about this particular subject. I'm super appreciative that you made the time. So thank you both very much. Thanks for having us. This has thank been- you. Um, and we've just confirmed, you've just confirmed how that we are two old broads, but thank you. <laughs> three, uh, three. I, I was going to say, I believe it is the trifecta of old broads. Oh, right, right. <laughs> um, but what I want to uh, no, say. No, about, that's not the right term. We're OG, three OGs. Okay, good. What's okay, OG? Old, old goats. Uh, oh, okay. That, <laughs> no, no, well, it's, a, it's actually a very positive term. It means that you have experience, you've been around, you understand, you know, you've it's been a in wisdom the industry. Thing. From, yes, a wisdom yeah. thing. Anytime I can turn my my age into wisdom, I'm all for that. But I guess the last thing I want to say to guests as we close out today is there are so many really, really smart, committed people who want you to be successful, who believe in what you're doing, who just are dripping with passion for what the sector is doing for our society, how it can transform our society, what it means to our society. And so on those days when you're up at the middle of the night and the cash flow statement is bouncing around on your head, you know, I want you to remember the people like Beth and Allison, me, people like Vule and like dozens of other people are in your court every day trying to figure out the hell we can do to help you get from the end of one day to the beginning of the next to go back to work um, and not to burn out and um, to continue to do the work you love and, um, and bring so much meaning and value to the world around us. And so don't take that lightly. And you may have learned about AI, but you also spent um, 50 minutes or so with two people that are such champions for your success. And don't forget for one minute that for Beth and um, Allison, it's real. For me, it's real. And that there are a lot of people in your court. Um, and um, and I appreciate your taking your time this, after, this afternoon, this morning, three o'clock in the morning. I have no idea what time it is when you're listening to this. I have no idea what day it is. Um, but we're very appreciative that you spent time with us. And we hope that you found this to be valuable. We hope you stay safe. 
Uh, we hope you say stay relatively sane. Um, and um, as always, we are um, in your debt for the work that you do every day. So take good care. Hey, thanks for spending time with me today. I hope you found the conversation valuable as you navigate the messy world of nonprofits. Check out all my other resources at joangary.com. Hope you find them helpful too. Lastly, thanks for the work you do to repair the world in ways large and small. I'll see you next time.